Happy Monday! Welcome back to Criminal Beauty. I'm your host, Shayna. This week's episode is about a woman that was discovered missing on 9-11. She walked out of her home the day prior, never to be seen again. This is the story of Sneha and Philip. So, as everyone knows, 9-11 is a day we all remember as one of the scariest and most heartbreaking times in American history. I was only 10 years old when it happened, in school, math class, and I heard my name over the intercom. My mom was signing me out of school. I remember seeing the fear in my mother's face as she tried to remain calm. I also remember getting home and walking in the door to see my entire family gathered around the TV with the news on, and tears streaming down every face I looked at. And as a 10-year-old, I didn't fully grasp what was happening. The news looked like something out of a movie. It wasn't until later that my mother and Papa explained to me what had happened. I know everyone was praying and mourning, and a lot of heartbreak was happening, but it was double the fear and heartbreak for the family of Sneha Philip. Sneha was born in the Indian state of Kerala, later moving to the upstate New York with her parents. They lived in Albany in the beginning and then moved to Hopewell Junction, a small hamlet town in Dutchess County. She attended John Hopkins University, and after graduation, she decided to pursue a career in medicine and enrolled in the Chicago School of Medicine in 1995. That's where she met Ron Lieberman, who was a student a year behind her. The two started dating, shared creative interests outside their intended careers. He was a musician, and she was interested in painting. Sneha decided to take a year off and travel around Italy. That way, the two could graduate together. Ron and Sneha moved to New York City, where they both gained internships. Ron was at Jacoby Medical Center, which was located in the Bronx, and Sneha did her internship at Cabrini Medical Center, which was closer to their small apartment in the East Village. The two got married in May of 2000 at a small ceremony held in Dutchess County, combining Jewish and Indian Christian elements to acknowledge both of their backgrounds respectively. After getting married, they moved to a larger apartment in Battery Park City. On September 10th, Sneha had a busy day planned. Ron had to work that day, so as always, he gave his wife a kiss and left the apartment to head to work. Sneha spent some time playing with her kittens, Figa and Callie, before proceeding to clean the apartment. She had arranged a dinner with her cousin that coming Wednesday, and she wanted to have things prepared. She repotted some purple and white orchids that she had ordered from Hawaii that had arrived, leaving them in the bathtub so that the excess water could drain prior to placing them in their permanent spots. Around 2 p.m., Sneha sent her mother an instant message. For those of you that are thinking iMessage, that's not it. Instant message, or IM, back then was done on a computer through Yahoo, AOL, etc., basically like an old version of Facebook Messenger. Sneha and her mother had a pretty lengthy conversation, somewhere around two hours. 
They spoke about Sneha and Ron's weekend prior and how they went to a party where Ron had jammed out on guitar with some co-workers until about midnight. Sneha had also told her mother of her plans for the week, like how she wanted to check out Windows on the World, where an old friend of hers was getting married in the spring. It was around 4 p.m. that Sneha signed off so that she could run some errands. She left the apartment wearing a brown short sleeve dress and sandals, and her hair was pulled back in a ponytail. Sneha went and dropped off some dry cleaning and then headed to Century 21, which is a discount department store just a few blocks from their apartment, just past the Twin Towers. It was around 6 p.m. that Sneha had made a purchase using a credit card. She had bought lingerie, a dress, pantyhose, and bed linens. Then, after leaving Century 21, she went to the store right up the road, the shoe annex, where she bought three pairs of shoes. Ron had come home from his shift at the hospital and Sneha was at home. Even though it was almost midnight, this didn't surprise him much, even though she was supposed to call if she was going to be staying out late. Ron brushed it off and went to bed. He had to work in the morning and 6.30 a.m. came early. When his alarm clock went off, though, Sneha still hadn't come home. That's irritated Ron, but still wasn't particularly worried. Sneha sometimes stayed with family in the area, either at her cousin's house a few blocks away or at her brother's house in the West Village. Thinking to himself that he needed to talk to Sneha about her habit of staying out all night and not checking in, Ron headed to the subway station to catch the Uptown 5 train in time for his 8 a.m. meeting at Jacoby in the Bronx. After his meeting, Ron noticed that all of his co-workers were gathered around the TV. A plane had just struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center, about two blocks from his apartment. He called home immediately. Sneha didn't have a cell phone. He got the answering machine. He left several messages that morning, but Sneha never called him back. Ron then called her mother and brother. Neither of them had heard from her either. Now Ron was worried. The city was in chaos, and he had not spoken to his wife since the previous morning when he kissed her goodbye. He didn't know where she was. Her family hadn't seen her or heard from her. He didn't think she would have a reason to be at the World Trade Center, and the possibility of her being trapped in the towers had barely crossed his mind. He had horrifying thoughts running through his head, though. Was she kidnapped off the streets while running errands? Had she been hit by a car? Had she stopped at the bar and just ended up with the wrong person? He was done waiting. At 3 p.m., he hitched a ride with an ambulance downtown to look for Sneha. It took the ambulance six hours to get downtown because of everyone fleeing lower Manhattan. When they did finally arrive at Tribeca around 9 p.m., the NYPD had cordoned off the area. He talked his way through the police line and ran past burning cars and overturned fire trucks toward their Rector Place apartments. When he arrived, the doors to the building wouldn't open due to the power being out. He ran around the building yelling for Sneha. Someone in the building had heard him and had poked their head out the window asking him what was wrong. He asked them to go knock on his apartment door, but there was no answer. He ended up walking to a friend's place in the West Village where he spent the night worrying and not sleeping, as anyone would when a loved one has gone missing. He headed home early the next morning and got into the building. Gray soot from the fallen towers poured through an open window. Paul prints from the kittens crisscrossed the floors, but there was still no sign of Sneha. He was sure that his wife had never made it home, and he reported her missing. As you can probably imagine, there were a lot of missing people reported that day, 
I'm not saying that anyone was any less of a priority for police, but they got a lot of calls about families missing their loved ones. In the apartment, Sneha had left basically everything. Her ID, credit card, aside from the one she used at Century 21, her glasses, passport, all of it. The bags from Century 21 were never in the apartment either, which just confirms that she hadn't made it back into her apartment. Ron began to wonder if Sneha was killed in the terrorist attack when a woman matching her description was seen on video surveillance from the apartment. At 8.43 a.m., just three minutes before American Airlines Flight 11 was flown into the North Tower, a woman who resembled Sneha entered the lobby, waited for the elevator for a couple of minutes, and then abruptly left the building. The woman on the footage was wearing a dress like the one that Sneha had been wearing while shopping and had a similar haircut to hers. Ron thought if she had been in the building and had heard the commotion outside, she would have gone to see what was going on. And given that she was an internal medicine intern, once she had seen what was happening, she would have jumped in to help and use her medical training for the good. However, authorities were unable to confirm that the woman on the video footage was Sneha. The sun streamed into the lobby on the footage was washed out, the video making it impossible to make a positive identification. Not to mention the mystery woman was not carrying any shopping bags, which Sneha likely would have been since she had made purchases at Century 21 and the Shoe Annex. Ron had tried to get the media involved in his wife's disappearance, but since they were unable to link it to the terrorist attack, the media didn't want or have any interest in it, which is honestly a horrible thing if you think about it. So in desperation, Ron called John, which is Sneha's brother, and asked him to reach out to the media and tell them about her disappearance, but to leave out key details, like the fact that she was seen last seen on the 10th. Just to be clear, I do not advise this at all. When you have someone missing, every detail counts. I know that in a situation like that, you just want your loved one home, but leaving that type of information out can leave a detrimental gap in the investigation. So after Ron called John and asked him to do this, John unbelievably insisted that they fabricate a story that involved him talking to his sister on the phone while she tended to injured victims. Again, do not ever do this. Be honest and open, always. John told reporters, quote, I was on the phone with her and she told me she couldn't leave because people were hurt. She said, I have to help this person. And that's the last thing I heard from her, end quote. The lie worked, and WABC ran a picture of the flyer, but no leads were uncovered, no witnesses found. As the time passed, John began to worry that he had led investigators down the wrong path, preventing her from being found. Quote, maybe if I didn't do it, maybe it would have gone another way, he said. It became a hero story, he added. Now, he later admitted that he had lied to authorities, which as I've said, hurt the investigation. Sneha's family did put up flyers and missing persons posters, but due to the terrorist attack, they were in with thousands of other missing persons posters. Ron called American Express, which was the credit card provider for the card Sneha had used at Century 21. After learning about the purchases, Ron posted flyers in other Century 21 stores. Later that week, a store clerk from the Lower Manhattan store who had been relocated to Brooklyn, called to say that she had remembered Sneha, who had come in frequently. She said she remembered that when Sneha was shopping, she had been accompanied by another young woman, possibly Indian. 
But after reviewing video footage from the store for three weeks, Ron only found the recording of his wife browsing coats, but she wasn't with anyone else. That person that the clerk claimed was with Snehal was never found, and they never came forward. Since police hadn't seemed super helpful in the case this far, Ron hired a PI named Ken Gallant, who found two pieces of evidence suggesting that Sneha had returned to the apartment in the early morning on 9-11. The first being a call that was made from the house phone to Ron's cell phone that happened around 4 a.m. Ron says he doesn't remember making the call, but he figured he may have sleepily checked his voicemail. The second being the video footage caught by the cameras in the apartment that I had mentioned earlier, compared to the video footage from the Century 21 store. Ken believes that it was Sneha that was waiting there due to the fact that when compared to the other footage, the dress and hair were consistent with what Sneha had been wearing the day before. Ken raised the possibility that Sneha may be alive and just living a new life somewhere. He had overseen forensic examination of Sneha's computer, searching for evidence that she had a secret lover, an upcoming tryst, but nothing was ever found. Sneha had never even looked up other places. And due to her leaving everything except the credit card she used, seemingly ruled out the theory of her intentionally disappearing. Ken also scoured Sneha's favorite places, such as bars, department stores, and hotels, interviewing employees, and talked to Sneha's friends, family, and co-workers. He took photos of Sneha to the ferry docks, looking for people who would remember her if she was fleeing on the 11th or if she was dragged out on the 10th. He even recommended a psychic who the family flew in from Pennsylvania. Sneha's name was eventually added to the official list of 9-11 victims, and her family attended a number of memorials. At these memorials, they found some sort of solace in being with others that had experienced the sudden death of a loved one. In 2003, Ron had filed a court petition in New York County Surrogate's Court to have his wife declared a victim of 9-11 terrorist attacks. He also filed a claim with the Victim Compensation Fund. Given Snail's age and future earning potential, Ron was in line to receive between $3 million and $4 million. Snail's name was removed from that list, though, by the medical examiner's office in 2004 due to lack of evidence connecting her to the attack or that she was even still alive on the 11th and then on June 29th of 2006, Surrogate Court Judge Renee Roth ruled that it could not be proven that Sneha died on September 11, 2001. Instead, her date of death was documented as September 10, 2004, three years after she was reported missing in accordance to state law. In the ruling, the judge pointed to evidence in the police report that suggested that she may have intentionally disappeared or was murdered. Seeing as Ron couldn't show a death certificate with DOD of 9-11-2001 on it, the Victim Compensation Fund denied his claim. But that's not the end. On January 31st of 2008, a five-judge panel voted 4-1 to one to overturn the lower court ruling and declared Sneha a victim of the attacks making her the 2,751st victim of the World Trade Center collapse. Her name was added to panel S66 of the National September 11th Memorial's South Pool. There is a possibility that Sneha did die at ground zero. That's what the courts ruled. They stated that while there is no direct evidence supporting that, 
there is still the probability of it. They also question the evidence in the police report that says that Sneha was met with foul play, labeling it hearsay, saying that if she had died any other way, her body would have turned up. But there was a lot of reasons as to why a lot of people don't believe that Sneha died in the collapse of the World Trade Center. I'll give you a few of those reasons. The first is the fact that there is no physical evidence that suggests that she was killed in the attacks. At least 60% of the victims from the World Trade Center had been identified by 2019 through DNA testing of remains or by identifying jewelry or other belongings found at the scene. Sneha was not. Another is the fact, like I said before, it was never officially confirmed that Sneha was the woman caught on camera in the apartment lobby. There was never really any evidence that she had even made it home on the 11th or even close to the Twin Towers. One judge, Bernard Malone Jr., said, quote, Since it is not known where the descendant spent the night of September 10th, it requires speculation to say that her route home took her across or dangerously near the World Trade Center grounds, or that at 8.48 a.m. when the attacks began, she was even in the vicinity of the World Trade Center, end quote. Lastly, things about Sneha and her professional and personal life were uncovered. Things like marriage problems and drinking entirely way too much. Some reports say that she had actually been fired for tardiness and alcohol-related issues, but some believe that her professional and personal life problems led to her death. Personally, I'm not sure what to think. Honestly, most of these theories can make sense. It just depends on what you want to believe. Sneha's family doesn't agree with the police report. They said that, yes, she enjoyed having a good time, but she did not have a serious substance abuse issue. In the end, Sneha's loved ones and the courts disagree with what the police say they uncovered. There is no clear motive as to why police would lie about anything. Some speculate that her husband killed her because of that call from the house phone to his cell phone. Apparently, Ron and Sneha had allegedly had an argument at the courthouse over a groping allegation. Sneha had issues with the former intern and had claimed that they had groped her. She had to go to court and place her plea on the charge of false allegations. And that led to the speculation that Ron had killed her. Ron claims that they never got in a fight in the courthouse and is adamant that he had nothing to do with her disappearance, and his behavior seems to support that. To this day, no one knows the truth behind Sneha's disappearance but her. If you have any information about Sneha or her disappearance, please call the New York Police Department's General Inquiries number at 646-610-5000 or Crime Stoppers at 800-577-TIPS. That's 800-577-8478. Until next time, stay safe, friends. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit that subscribe or follow button and tune in every Monday for a new episode. Episode suggestions can be sent to criminalbeautypod at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at criminalbeauty20 and on Instagram at criminalbeautypod.